Good morning, everyone. I'd like to talk about the resurrection, what it means that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, I know some of you are thinking, hang on, that was last week. What are we doing talking about it today? And I think in there is the first point I'd like to make. Because it seems to me that the resurrection, the fact that Jesus died from the dead, um, is one of the things that we often fail to pay as much attention to as we could. We talk a lot about the cross, the fact that Jesus died, what it meant, how great his love for us was. Oh, and by the way, he rose again. Or we think about Jesus in glory. There he is, exalted above every power, every authority, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. And by the way, he's also defeated death. It's a little bit like one of those cheese sandwiches. Um, I don't know if you've ever made a cheese sandwich with that kind of plastic cheese that comes wrapped up in a little bit of plastic. And you butter both sides, and you put the cheese on one side, and you put it together. What would happen if you tried to open the sandwich? You would probably find that the bit of cheese was attached to either one side or the other. It wouldn't sort of come out on its own. So what I want to do this morning is focus on the resurrection itself. The cross is wonderful. Jesus is in glory. That's wonderful. But today I want us to focus on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. There's important truth here for each of us. These are some of the things that I want us to look at this morning. It really happened. Number two... It matters. Number three, Jesus rose and we are going to rise as well. Fourth, it will happen in an instant. Five, this is not just for Christians, this is everyone. And six, be encouraged. It gives us hope to carry on. So I want us to look at those things. Now, we're going to be looking at one chapter of the Bible where Paul goes in great detail talking about the resurrection and what it means. If you've got your Bibles, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you haven't got your Bibles, then parts of the text will come up on the screen. It's a very long chapter. We haven't got time to look at it all. So for your homework, can you please... Go home, read the whole of 1 Corinthians 15, get hold of a good commentary. Um, If you don't know a good commentary, come along to our uh, Grasping God's Word community group, which starts at the end of this month, and we'll have a look at commentaries. But try and work out, because there's lots of truths here, and it's not the sort of thing that we often talk about, but it's nonetheless God's Word for that. He wants you to know it. So let's start at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, 
that he was buried, so he really died, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So if you don't believe me, you can ask them. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and you believed. Paul said, When I came to you, when I preached you the gospel, first importance was the fact that he died and that he rose again. When you read Acts, you find a surprising thing. Paul talks an awful lot about the resurrection. When he went to Athens, they thought, because they didn't know anything about Christianity, they thought he was preaching about a strange religion with two gods, one called Jesus and the other called Anastasis, which means resurrection. Why? Because he kept going on about it so much. The first thing he wanted to say about the resurrection was it really happened. It really happened. It's not a myth. It wasn't a case of hallucination. It wasn't a case of wish fulfillment. It wasn't a story, a myth. It actually happened. Jesus had a body. He died. He rose again. He had a body. There was his own experience on the Damascus Road. Now, this happened after Christ had ascended, but for Paul it was so real, he took this as an example of a proof that Christ had risen again. Let's move on. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Why is Paul saying that? He's saying that because in Corinth, in Greece at that time, their philosophy was basically the body is not important. Greek thinking was like this. You've got a soul and you've got a body. 
And the only reason your body is there is to carry your soul safely from the beginning of the life to its end. In that way, it's a bit like an egg and spoon race. If you look at an egg and spoon race, you've got the spoon and there's the egg on top and you're carrying it ever so carefully because the egg's very important and if it breaks, you won't win the race. And the spoon is just to carry it. And once you get to the end and you get to the finishing line, then the spoon has outlived its usefulness. It's no longer necessary. And in Greek thinking, the body was like that. So the idea, when Paul came along, that your body was going to be raised again was totally outside their thinking. And because the body wasn't important, they thought about it in two different ways. Way number one was, the body is basically evil. It's not very nice. We don't want to spend much. It's just there because it's got to carry your soul. But in itself, it's not very good. So anything that you enjoy, anything that gives you pleasure, it's not really really the best thing in life. So, for example, celibacy is better than marriage. Because marriage involves getting pleasure, and it's much better not to have that. That was one way of thinking. The other way of thinking was, well, because the body's going, it doesn't matter what you do with it. If you indulge in every pleasure going, it won't matter in the end, because the body's just just a cup that you're going to throw away, so it doesn't really matter how you use it. And they had a little proverb. Let's eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So it doesn't really matter what you do, because your body's just a cup and it's going to get thrown away. That was the kind of thinking that the Corinthians had in their mind and the people in Greece had in their mind when they heard Paul's message about the resurrection of the body. Resurrection of the body... You might as well take a plastic cup and put it in the British Museum as a prize exhibit. You know, there is no point in it. Now, there's lots of other ideas going around at the time. The Jews, this was a hot topic. When Jews got together and had a religious argument, they didn't argue about whether it was okay to have female bishops or whether whether you should baptise your babies or whether you should have bishops at all, they got together, when they had a nice religious argument, they argued about whether the dead were going to be raised. And in Paul's time, some people said they were, some people said they weren't. These days, there are lots of other philosophies in the world. Some people believe in reincarnation. When you die, you become another being. It may be another person, it may be a cow if you're really lucky, and so on. (laughs) Other philosophies teach that when you die, you just become absorbed into the general sea of creation. Um, There's a story about a little doll made of salt who eventually came to the sea. And as this doll of salt went into the sea, she dissolved and became nothing, and became part of the massive sea. These are all philosophies that you hear. 
But God says, I made you as an individual, as a body. I want you to be you forever and ever and ever. And if that means means having a body, forever and ever and ever. A new body, you will be raised. We're all of a piece. Now Paul says, if the resurrection didn't happen, then all this business about Jesus and the cross is useless. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then the cross did not pay the price for your sins. How do we know it did? Because Jesus rose again with no more sin, no more penalty on him. Paul would have had no time for the kind of people who say, Jesus was a wonderful moral teacher. The Sermon on the Mount, that's a wonderful way to live. And dying on the cross... What a wonderful example of self-giving. Paul would have said poppycock, or whatever they said in those days. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then everything we believe about him would be a waste of time. That was how seriously Paul took the resurrection. That's why he said... When I came, number one on my list was to say that Jesus died and rose again. Let's move on. This way it gets good news. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Okay? The fact is that Jesus did rise from the dead, and because Jesus did rise from the dead, we are also going to rise from the dead. You see that word he uses? The first fruits. What's the difference between first fruits and any other kind of fruits? They're first. Nothing else. They don't taste any better, they aren't any bigger. They don't do you any more good. They're just first. And it's like that with the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. We are going to rise from the dead. So when we look at Jesus' own resurrection, we can find out something of what ours is going to be like. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was recognisable. People recognised him. Often, not immediately, but then they did. It still had his marks. He was able to say to Thomas, put your finger into my wounds, touch my scars. It was different from the old body, though. And Paul, later on in this chapter, he says it's like the difference between a seed and a fruit. Now, I grow some vegetables in my garden, some fruit and vegetables in my garden, with varying degrees of success. Um, I find they taste better than flowers. And one of the things about them is you plant a tiny, tiny seed 
and it grows up sometimes amazingly quickly. So if you're planting something like sweet corn, you've got a seed this size and you've got a plant this size. Now at the end of the summer, I dig them up and pull them up and look all over them. I have never seen a trace of the original seed I planted at the beginning of the year. It has totally transformed. The old seed has gone. You've got this new massive plant several feet high come from this seed. Totally transformed. It's the same thing. I planted a sweet corn seed, you get a sweet corn plant. You plant a tomato seed, you get a tomato plant. I planted a a watermelon seed last week. Hopefully, I'm going to get some watermelons. But they won't look anything like the seed which I planted. And the resurrection body is like that. Totally different, but the same. The different seeds are also different from each other. And we will be different from each other. We are a church which recognises and acknowledges diversity because it's a gift of God. God made us all different. Different sexes, different ages, different races, different skin colour, different heights, different amounts of hair on their head, different football teams they support, whatever it is. God made it like that. And in the resurrection, in eternity, it will still be like that. This is one of the strange things about the Christian life. As we're Christians, we want to become more and more and more like Jesus. And that's good. And we are, because the Holy Spirit is working in us and changing it, we are each becoming more and more like Jesus. But, at the same time, we're becoming more and more ourselves. Just because I become more like Jesus doesn't mean I become more like Richard Plummer. It doesn't mean that Richard Plummer becomes more like Kusari. It doesn't mean that Kusari becomes more like Simon. We become more ourselves as we become more like Jesus. And the same is true in eternity. He made individuals. He wants that to continue. That's why this thing about melting into the sea or reincarnation is so wrong. God made you because he loves you and he wants you for eternity. If he wanted another cow, he would have made another cow. But he didn't. He made you because he wants you and he loves you. Jesus' body was not held up by limitations. He was able to walk through walls. He was able to appear in places and then disappear. Now, it would be good for that, good for us like that. Sometimes we say things like, I can't be in two places at once when you think of all the things you have to do. Sometimes you say, I'd love to be at Alpha, but my community group meets that night. I've just been looking at the new community group brochure. Uh, My group meets on Wednesday evening, as do about ten others as far as I can see. 
It would be lovely to go to them all. But because of our limitations, we can't. So tell you what's to do. Come to mine. <laughs> but with a resurrection body, we won't be held back by things like that. Things that are impossible for us now will be possible for us then. Here's a good one. Our new resurrection bodies will have no physical disabilities. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more mental illness. There'll be no more fear. There'll be no more obsessive compulsive disorder. There will be no more arachnophobia. There will be no more fear of heights. All these things will have gone because we'll have a new body. We won't get tired. We won't get bored. And most importantly, we will be free of the fear of death. Our new bodies, we will forever be with the Lord. Forever. Won't that be boring? No, boredom will have gone. The next thing. This will happen in an instant, not gradually. Let's read the next few verses. I tell you this, said Paul, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Let me just stop there. Perishable means one day it will disappear. Okay, it won't last forever. When you buy fruit and veg that are perishable, you've got to eat them by their sell-by date or their use-by date. Whereas some things like tins of baked beans will last forever, a, 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 a bunch of bananas will not last forever. Perishable. The perishable cannot, cannot inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. So mortal means one day we're going to die. Immortal means we're never going to die. So we need to change our bodies. Our bodies need to be changed, rather. We can't do it ourselves. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Flesh and blood, says Paul, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Imagine that government brings in a law that says... For example, from the year 2018, from the 1st of January 2018, 
the only cars allowed on our streets will be electric cars. The only cars from the 1st of January 2018 will be electric cars. What will happen to my nice new diesel car, which I got only last month? Useless. What will happen to all the nice cars that we see around us? Even the state-of-the-art hybrids? Useless. We will all need totally new cars. Unless anyone has bought a milk float and kept it in their back garden just in case. Totally new. You cannot change a car gradually. You will need a totally new one. Now, for our bodies, it's the same. God has planned eternity for you. Eternity for you. And our present bodies can't deal with that. They can't take it. Even my hair didn't last 60 years. If we're going to live with him for eternity, we'll need new bodies. Paul says, we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. This change to a new body is not going to be a gradual process of evolution. It will happen in an instant. Creation happened in an instant. God said, let there be light. Even scientists now say that creation happened in an instant. And our new bodies will be the same. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we find the same teaching. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Lord will come down with a cry of command and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are left will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. New, imperishable bodies. Imperishable bodies. I wouldn't mind a car like that. I wouldn't mind a washing machine like that. Imperishable. Death will be no more. That's why in the New Testament, in the New Testament, death is often referred to as falling asleep. In this passage we've been reading this morning, falling asleep is mentioned twice at least. You see, Jesus himself went through that. There was a time when he was buried when he was dead. He was totally dependent on the Father's word to raise him to life to continue. One day, this is going to happen to you. Fifth point. Resurrection is for everybody, but it's not good news for everybody. Can we read this? This is something that Jesus himself said in John's Gospel. He said, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of life. Of judgment. Some people who are not believers say death is the end. After death, that's all there is. Jesus says that is a lie. All of us 
are going to have to give an account of ourselves to God. So now is the time to respond to the gospel. One day it will be too late. Jesus' words on this are very, very clear. Everybody will rise again. Everybody will give an account of themselves to God. Everybody will face judgment on whether their sin is dealt with or not. The only difference is that Jesus, who said that, actually rose from the dead himself. So we've got to take him seriously. So there's a warning here. Everybody will rise. Everybody will face Jesus. But lastly, if you belong to Christ, it's an encouragement. Let's look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Not in vain. Let's have a look at the next picture, please. This character was called Sisyphus. He was actually, according to the myth, he was king of Corinth and that area of Greece. But because he got on the wrong side of the gods, his punishment was to spend all time pushing a rock up to the top of a hill. When it got to the top of the hill, it would roll down again and he would have to push it up again. God says to you, your life in Christ is not like Sisyphus. It is not a waste of time. You may think when you look at everything you do for the Lord, you may think, I'm stupid. Others may say to you, she thinks she's doing God's will you may think, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of money. Why not give up? God says to you, no. By living a life, obeying Jesus, being his disciple, you're responding to God's word that he's spoken to you. When you are giving time and money to God's work. It's the best investment you can probably make. You can possibly make. Someone said, you can't take your money with you when you die. The answer is, yes, you can. You can send it on in advance. (laughs) But if you think death is in the end, that's not going to make sense to you. If you know that in the words of Peter, there is a rich welcome waiting for you, then let's make it as rich as possible. It's eternity we're looking at, the best investment possible. You will be rewarded. At the end, end, when you receive your new body, when you come into the presence of Christ, you will hear him say, everything you did, 
every godly decision you made, every moment you spent praying, every conversation, every tear you shed for your non-Christian friends and relatives as you pleaded with them to respond, every time you fasted for the kingdom, every time you made a godly decision, maybe about relationships, not pursuing a particular relationship, and maybe as a result you spent your whole life single, God says, well done. It is not in vain. God says to you, every penny that you, send, that you raise to send to your family back home, every time you work overtime to earn just a little bit more so that you can help those in need, I see it. It will be rewarded, says the Lord. So, you are not a Sisyphus. We are going to eternity. Your labour is not in vain. We will rise again. We will stand before the Lord. You will hear his well done. Before we sing our last song, let's spend a moment in prayer together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have overcome death, that you have brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And Lord, all of us, we look forward to that day when we will be caught up and we will meet you in the air and we will be changed and we will forever be with you. Lord, I ask at this time that you will speak a particular word of comfort to those who are bereaved, to those who are busy and feel their life is like a treadmill, to those who are burdened with worry and concerned about unsaved friends and unsaved relatives, those who are grappling with sickness disability, or who give themselves caring for others. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the future that you have in store for us. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you will help us all to enjoy your victory now. In Jesus' name.